0: Hello all and welcome to the Gestalt IT Rundown, your weekly look at the IT News of the Week. I'm your host, Rich Trafalino. I'm an editor at Gestalt IT. Joining me from across this great nation of ours is the one, the only, Tom Hollingsworth. Tom, welcome
1: to the show. Thanks for having me on, Rich. I am thoroughly enjoying March 457th as it is (laughs) today, and uh, we'll see how things go
0: uh tom i've been recently uh, like everyone else obligatorily watching the tiger king and i know that's uh you know that's that's kind of close to home to you and i was going to introduce you as as our networking tiger king uh but i decided against that i just need to let everyone know though that we are aware that tiger king is a thing tom lives in oklahoma and we're gonna leave it at that. So first up here on news or not, nah, uh, wanted to get into this, and all of a sudden my browser just signed me out. So that's really cool. Uh, but first up on news or not nah is kind of the news that Microsoft is going to be exiting, um, doing physical events till at least the first half of 2021. This comes uh, from uh, Microsoft Whisper Mary joe Foley, who uh, is you know in in a lot of ways in all things really. Uh, uh, knowing what's going on in Microsoft. This will affect, um, obviously, anything going on this year, but looking at uh, bigger shows like Ignite, um, uh, looking at uh, uh, things like um, Build, MVP Summit 2021, basically everything in the first half uh, going to be all digital. Tom, Microsoft Digital, news or not?
1: Um, I think this is news uh, because it shows that Making an event happen is not a, hey, let's do a thing uh, kind <laughs> of situation. Uh, I was talking to my friend Tommy Odea uh, at Ekahau yesterday, and she was telling me that the the what she's hearing from people inside of the industry is that pretty much the rest of 2020 is a write-off from an event perspective because you have six to nine month lead times that require planning and process and getting hotel rooms and convention space booked so what the cancellations that you're seeing now like the ignite cancellation just came across the wire yesterday um officially uh that is an event in september so we're six months out for cancellation so if this goes another month you're already in october nobody really does anything in november december except for amazon so you know you're kind of looking at a write-off for the rest of the year i mean the only thing that i know of on the calendar right now is VMworld, and who knows what's going on with that
0: yeah, we will, we will see if that uh, actually ever occurs. Um, speaking of things that will never occur, uh, if you heard a sad whimper this week, it was Xerox announcing it was dropping its hostile takeover bid of HP. The company cited the uncertainty around the COVID-19 pandemic and the fact that no one seemingly wanted it outside of Xerox, and they were the much smaller party in this transaction. And they'll drop their bid also to take over HP's board, which they're going to do with a share buyout. News or not here, Tom?
1: Uh, if only so that we can put this news story to bed, um, this is literally <laughs> the equivalent of the guy going up to the girl and be like, do you want to go out? No, Do you want to go out? No. Do you want to go? No. All right. This was uh, shareholder harassment I, is what I you're don't, saying. Yeah. In, in lack of a better term, this was an ill-advised takeover attempt at best that happened at the worst possible time for this. Although we're seeing a lot of MA and activity that's happening already. We'll get to that in a minute. But I don't really know where this is going to happen. And let's be fair. Even if Xerox did manage to appease the shareholders of HP and make this happen, do you really think the Federal Trade Commission is going to be okay with Xerox owning all of the printers in the world? Mm -mm. (laughs) Mm-mm.
0: Uh, next up here on News or Not, after initially publishing a blog post that Azure service usage increased 775% in regions with shelter-in-place orders, Microsoft uh, was forced to clarify that the stat actually referred to seven, a 775% increase in teams calling and meeting monthly users in one month, specifically looking at Italy. So kind of having some larger claim to to their overall cloud usage to something very specific. If, effectively, uh, this was forced on them by SEC disclosure that this could affect shareholder value and that kind of stuff for forcing them to do that. So, Tom, news or not that Microsoft had to make this correction, but also that Teams spike is significant, but I think way less significant than a 775% increase in Azure overall, right?
1: Um it's significant that but we kind of knew that that was going to happen i mean it was kind of like um uh when chuck robbins went on cnbc and said that they've done over 5 billion video conferencing meeting minutes in the last 90 days or something of course 45 of those days were were pre-outbreak uh this reminds me of all that stuff that you see like if you watch baseball first of all if you watch baseball i gotta help you (laughs) But uh, how every batter has to be one or two in some random statistic that the statistics department was employed to find. So like they're the best leadoff hitter whose last name starts with Z that plays on team <laughs> animals in months that start with J. And number two is a guy that died in 1927. It's like, okay, we get it. You had to come up with a statistic. I was really excited when this was 775% traffic increase, because maybe that was enough to finally put Oracle cloud out of its misery. But now I'm not so sure. So
0: uh, sadly, I mean, I, like that number, I, even as much as people are leaning on cloud services these days, you know, we've seen um, reports from, you know, app analysts saying like downloads where all these apps are up, like, but they were up like 200% or something like, though in still insane numbers still like Microsoft Teams uh, paid users up, like effectively doubled over the course of less than a month. So like I was expecting insane numbers, but 775% on Azure usage overall did seem like incredibly high. And I would think we would see like, a lot more uh, like outages or, or just constraints on their business uh, overall. So, um, you know, I'm I'm glad we have some actual context for what that number actually meant. Uh, next up here on Newsroom, during an analyst call this week, uh, Slack CEO Stuart Butterfield, one of my favorite name CEOs, announced the company was working on call integration features with Microsoft Teams, their biggest rival no idea when this integration would roll out and all a microsoft spokesperson would say is our microsoft 365 application programming interfaces are public and open to customers and all third-party developers and robot transmission
1: cross-productivity calling though tom news or not um news but mostly because that means that microsoft and slack now have to play nice i mean realistically speaking did you know that Slack could make phone calls? Because not a lot of people do. Uh, it's not a function that a lot of people use. Now, on the flip side, I think people are using Teams a lot for that functionality because Teams is Skype 4.0. <laughs> <I think we're laughs> we'll on get now. into that in a little bit. Yeah, we'll get into that in a little bit. But long story short, integrating those two platforms in any kind of way is a step into a larger discussion about cross-platform availability Mm -hmm. um i mean can you imagine how crazy it'd be if the people who use at&t couldn't call verizon because those two can't work together Mm. (laughs) i i do like it it take it took a pandemic
0: to like the idea of having the same functionality as a phone number for it to occur to these two companies um but what i think is I mean, it's it's interesting. Yeah, you're absolutely right that Teams has that because it's integrated into Outlook, into what you're already using for your calendar and other productivity. I, I think you're more likely to just view it as part of that overall productivity suite as whereas Slack is like very specifically like this messaging thing that can be built out to be other things. But at its core, like, it's it's kind of almost, you know, because it is a standalone product, it's a standalone product. Um, if that's reductive, I apologize. Uh, and finally here on News or Not, uh, yeah. Google announced it would resume updates to Chrome with plans to release Chrome 81 on April 7th. The new version was scheduled previously for release on March 17th, but Google suspended updates on Chrome browser and Chrome OS to avoid disruptions as people started working from home. Don't want to break things on the first day. Everybody's doing that. An official Chrome 82 release has been canceled, and the features will be rolled into Chrome 83 and other minor releases uh, that Chrome 83 is expected in mid-May. So, Chrome resuming updates. News are not here, Tom.
1: Not really news. Google had to come to this point at some point in the future because, well, a day without Chrome updates is the apocalypse. But I think that what really happened was is Google was going to try to make a big stand about, hey, we're not going to break anything for the next month. And <laughs> Apple released how many iOS updates in that time? And so Google's like, well, oh, crap, now we look like dorks. At- so they're just going to go back to what they were doing before. Uh, the funny thing is, like, you want to know if how this Google could have made this news? We're not going to kill any more products for the next three months.
0: That, uh, that definitely would have turned some heads. I mean, Tom, as someone who has administered systems and stuff like that like how big of a deal was freezing chrome updates to me uh i don't know i've i've personally as an end user now this is purely as an end user i'm not supporting anybody i'm not you know working with remote teams i've never experienced an issue where i you know i shut down chrome restarted it and all of a sudden like something mission critical broke i mean is that all that common in your
1: experience not really. I mean, the, the worst that's happened is the tab bar layouts changed a couple of times okay. on me. Uh, <laughs> no big deal. I mean, I, I'll, I'll tell you that I, I didn't even notice this is a thing because I've just gotten to the point where I ignore the little arrow in the corner that's like upgrade because I don't care. I <laughs> mean, this, this is the problem with. Uh, just-in-time software delivery or continuous improvement. You know, when when the new version of uh, iOS and watchOS and macOS and OSOS OS came out, I was like, hey, I need to schedule a time to upgrade these things because even though there's like two minor features in it, I still want those features. Mm-hmm. When there's a new version of Chrome, literally don't care. <laughs> All right, and first up on our
0: discussion, something I think we both uh, are interested and care about. Palo Alto Networks uh, continued their recent acquisition spree. They acquired Twistlock, they acquired Appareto, a bunch of other companies uh, throughout the last uh, 12 months or so. And they announced Tuesday it plans to acquire the SD WAN company Cloudgenics for $420 million. It's not the most expensive recent acquisition. I think the Twistlock one was somewhere in the $500 million range, or they had one acquisition in the $500 million range, but still pretty close to the top of the stack there, and not an inconsiderate amount of money for the company. Palo Alto uh, plans to roll the company into its existing uh, Prisma Access SACE solution portfolio, providing it as a cloud-managed service. So, Tom, my question to you, does this kind of prove that what we've maybe been hinting at for a while, that SD-WAN is just kind of a SACE feature now? And, you know, what do you think Palo Alto saw in CloudGenix that made them acquire, of, of all the SD-WAN, you know, there's, there's SD-WAN flavor of the month everywhere. You look what was special about CloudGenix that made them pull the trigger?
1: Well, first of all, congrats to Kumar uh, Ramachandran and his group for this exit. Um, I have actually been watching this very closely for a while because Genix was what I consider to be one of the last first-generation SD-WAN vendors. When you look at Velocloud, Viptela, CloudGenix they were all right there on the forefront of, of developing the technology. And cloud gen was the last one that hadn't been purchased yet. In fact, when they presented at networking field, Day 22, uh, back in February, I even kind of said something to that effect in my opening. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you look at where this is, a lot of the other vendors that are still kind of unaffiliated, uh, vendors like Ariaka, uh, they're very focused on providing services. They're not pre- interested in hardware. So, uh, ariak is not a good fit for a box vendor Um, palo alto and and this is another thing too as you mentioned they're rolling it into prisma SASE, they're not uh, displacing their existing firewall based SD-WAN solution now i would expect to see a lot of this happening pretty soon where they kind of build them together Mm -hmm. no this is this is interesting because they're focused on sassy i've been doing a lot of research on this recently And and CloudGenX has a good SASE play. For those of you who are not familiar, SASE is secure access to service edge, which is a Gartner category for SD-WAN that is more security focused than it is connectivity focused. Um, Ultimately, I think that this is good for Palo Alto because you get a company that has a lot of experience in this area and they are buying in to that market. Now, here's where it gets a little hairy. early developers are pretty much gone. I mean, you're down to maybe what versa networks. And uh, I honestly, I'd have to think for the others, Mm. everywhere else is being developed by business units inside of big organizations. So you've got Cisco, you've got Riverbed, you've got VMware. Now you have Palo Alto. Um, They're really working on differences in things. So I'm glad that this happened i'm glad for the cloud genics people and i'm hopeful for the palo alto people i know that there's a good roadmap for this um i'm just kind of curious to see how they spin it and how much of cloud genics development methodology and techniques filter down into the firewall SD-WAN platform that they're building out
0: yeah and if they will follow you know uh again i, I don't i i Palo Alto has a business model. This is going to uh, roll into fit that. I, I don't think this is a stake in the ground that they're, you know, making a hard shift. Very clearly, they're they're filling out, you know, kind of that entire, like, network, uh, you know, uh, security from every single aspect, um, which I think is a really smart play. Um, whether they will, you know, like you said, it seems like everyone else kind of realized, hey, um, SD-WAN, whether it's a, it's a feature or something, you know, some sort of differentiator, it, it, we have our own purpose for rolling that into whatever product we have, whether, you know, we're, we're Cisco or whoever we are, um, whether they can make that uh, compelling, you know, because a lot of the people that are now offering uh, competing solutions are going to be kind of in the, uh, in the same data center or, you know, in the same organization as Palo Alto networks, right? It's not like they own any kind of full stack other than, you know, uh, on the security side, uh, maybe specifically, but there's gonna be other network equipment, there's gonna be other uh, uh, vendors kind of in there that offer maybe something that competes with it. So yeah, whether it can be, hey, here's a box you plug in, and it's, it's, you know, no fuss, we'll handle everything else cloud managed, don't worry about it. Um, you know, that that will be uh, interesting to see how that goes forward. Next up here, uh, I I thought this was an interesting, I wanted to put together a a lot of different stories we've been seeing about this. You know, at the start of everybody kind of working from home uh, and related to uh, COVID-19, definitely the big story was like, hey, everybody's using Zoom. Zoom is the new hotness. We're going to do our Zoom happy hour. Then we're going to do our Zoom stand-up meeting. Then we're going to go into our Zoom. You know, everybody's just going to be on it all the time. And uh, everybody seemed to like it. It was kind of the hero of the moment, kind of stepped up. Uh, in a big way, but it seems like this week the bloom has kind of come off the rose, as it were. Uh, first uh, off, there was a report from Vice that Zoom's use of a login from Facebook SDK on iOS was sending device info to Facebook, even if you weren't logged in. Essentially, uh, you know, Facebook is well known for using shadow profiles, but it seemed like Zoom was or Zoom had uh, allowed this to happen as part of that application. Um, going from there, you know, so and then they released an update and said, "Okay, we're stripping that out. We're going to figure out a way to still have the login with Facebook without this information." We fixed it. Uh, Then there was the Intercept report that despite claims of using end-to-end encryption and marketing materials, you know, kind of being out in front of that, uh, Zoom actually uses what's called transport encryption, which encrypts it from third parties but theoretically would allow Zoom or someone else that subpoenas Zoom uh, to uh, have access to calls. And now security researchers have demonstrated a flaw in Zoom's Windows client group chat feature that can leak Windows network credentials of anyone who clicks on shared links by a universal naming convention path injection. And just today, in fact, as I was preparing kind of this, uh, this kind of came across my RSS feed, that security researcher Patrick Wardle published two zero-day exploits for Zoom on macOS. So, Tom, my question is... Is this just Zoom playing fast and loose and kind of getting caught at an unprecedented like an unforeseen amount of scaling that all of a sudden they're doing overnight, uh, or is this more of a hey they're they're the most popular platform? This is exactly what happened with Windows, right? You can argue if whether it was Windows is insecure or Windows just has the biggest target on their back. Is that just what's happening to Zoom now?
1: It's a little of A and a little of B. Um, I don't know how many of those of you out there remember way back in the halcyon days of last year <laughs> uh when when, uh, when zoom was accused of being able to uh uh remotely trigger people's webcams to come on yeah. remember how big of a deal that was mm-hmm. and oh my god i can't believe you do that and zoom to their credit immediately reacted and shut it off and and they they got a black eye for that and let's be fair they kind of deserve that um they now here's where it comes into play um i've used webex recently i've used go to meeting recently um i'm really actively trying to avoid whatever the hell the link for business video (laughs) chat thing is because yeah that's that's a dumpster fire the only part that has bucked up under the load it hasn't Mm -hmm. fallen apart it doesn't require a whole lot of really complicated um infrastructure to work properly and In the other room behind the magic green curtain, uh, my kids and my wife are using it for education right now because another thing is Zoom is basically opening themselves up to be free for educators for the next three or four months, which is great. I love that. Uh, Props to you guys for doing it. But the problem is, is that when everybody starts using your platform, now you have a big target on your back. And so that's where the little bit of B thing comes in. Now that everybody's using it, everybody's trying to exploit it because scammers going to scam and haters going to hate. So finding all of these functionalities that are built in here, yeah. You're right. We didn't find that in WebEx. Is it because it doesn't exist in WebEx or because WebEx is is enough of a crapshoot that people just don't (laughs) want to use it? I can't say. I really don't know. I also don't have a subscription to use WebEx Teams in a way that would allow me to have hour-long video conference calls. Hey, guess what? Not obfuscating the uh, meeting IDs for people and allowing direct dial for folks who have their rooms in, yeah, it's a bit stupid. Um, Greg Farrow just posted a blog post literally today about some ways to shut that off. You can't get it completely turned off, but you can make it difficult to Mm -hmm. deal with. Um, I have a feeling that the URI thing is gonna get patched, that the UNC stuff is gonna get patched. Um, The end-to-end encryption thing that we keep hearing about, that's a bigger solution that you're not gonna have a lot of time to deal with. Uh, Here's the thing, folks. And, and I'm just going to level with you because, well, you know, it's the apocalypse and I can. <laughs> um, remember the whole triangle of good, fast and cheap pick two? Mm-hmm. Um, you're kind of in a boat here where it works and it doesn't cost an arm and a leg. Security may be the third thing you're not going to get to choose yet. Now, again, props to the Zoom people because they seem to be figuring this stuff out pretty quickly doesn't mean we're not gonna have problems in the future. It means that the Zoom engineers who are probably holed up in their houses, just like you are, are probably busting their butts to get this fixed. Is it a perfect software application? No, it's not, but they're trying. And if you think that that's not gonna be a a, value, a viable solution for what you need to do, stop making video calls or use FaceTime because it works. Now, it ain't perfect either, But I promise you, if you go try to use FaceTime or Skype or WebEx Teams or GoToMeeting or webinar platform of your choice, just just do it for the rest of the week. And if you're not running back to Zoom screaming about how awesome it is, security holes and all, I'll eat the hat.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you're discussing, um, you know, uh, mission critical trade secrets, whatnot, you know, maybe – a Zoom call, you know, if you need something that needs supreme privacy, one, maybe don't do a video chat, like, is not the ideal way to do that in general. And and maybe, you know, it, again, if you if you need, like, NSA-quality security, maybe Zoom isn't the choice to do right now. Maybe not even because it's insecure, not even because of the encryption, or just because it has the biggest target on its back. Uh, that being said, yeah, I, I do think um, it's interesting that we're seeing that at now in the, you know, kind of the security community, I think, is re- definitely reacting to this. Um, and I, I do think it's it is interesting, like uh, like going back to the web server thing. That was the the whole thing last year where yeah, they were installing this little tiny web server on Mac OS that would, you know, make it it was as a convenience feature that had some security implications. I'm sure there were a lot of things that, hey, we made this thing work and it gives you a feature you like. Also, there are some concessions that you have to do that. I'm sure that's built into a lot of these messaging apps code, Zoom no exception. So, not to downplay those concerns, I I've I've heard people say if you want you know, security, or if you want, like, if you, privacy is the utmost importance, use something that is end-to-end encrypted, use FaceTime, use, a, you know, a WhatsApp call or something like that, um, don't necessarily, tr- I, trust Zoom is even the wrong word, like, I, I don't even want to, like, put it, like, you can't trust Zoom, there are just other platforms that are available to use for that regard, so just just interesting, and we'll, we'll keep track of, you know, how the, the Zoom goodwill meter is going, uh, going forward. Uh, In other news, though, of things that have been affected by COVID-19, there was an interesting um, uh, article from TechCrunch, and I just kind of want to set this up. Uh, One of the primary benefits of using cloud for a startup, uh, you know, kind of across industries, is uh, that consumption-based pricing, right? So you can kind of get started. You don't need to have a huge amount of capital investment uh, to get started. You can just, hey, I'm going to spin up some, uh, some AWS instances, and I can have some servers up. Um And I don't and I just need to pay for those per month uh, works out allows for EZ scaling. You can see a lot of the appeal of it um, in light of the financial crunch caused, though, by COVID-19, where a lot of these startups are seeing massively decreased customer bases and that kind of stuff. TechCrunch's Josh uh, Constant published an editorial calling for AWS, Azure, GCP and the other public cloud players, Oracle, Tom. Uh, to offer some sort of cloud relief, theoretically letting startups (laughs) pause cloud infrastructure payments for three to six months and pay them back in installments later on, or if they agree to sign a longer-term contract or something like that, offer them a discounted rate, something like that. He agrees that aside from altruistic and PR reasons for doing this, hey, it looks good if you do it, uh, cloud providers have an interest in this in that a lot of their customers going out of business is not good for their bottom line either. I will see if any of this gets resolved, but I think the more interesting discussion here is that in light of COVID-19, will we see startups reevaluating the wisdom of consumption pricing going forward as a result of this? You know, it allows you to get started a lot quicker, but if you kind of pay that big bill at the front, you're not necessarily as vulnerable to this down the road for something unforeseen like this.
1: Uh, man, I don't know about this because a lot of businesses don't buy their equipment like with cash. They Mm -hmm. buy it with a lease or they buy it with some kind of a financing option. So you're still paying as you go. The only difference is, is that in the cloud, when you don't need to use that server and you turn it off, you aren't paying for it anymore. If you bought that server on a lease for the next 18 months and you turn it off, you're still making payments on it. It's, it's the old adage of, you know, if I wreck my car tomorrow, if insurance doesn't pay out on the gap, I'm still paying for my car that I can't drive anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know how well this idea of pausing payments for 30 days and then paying back in installments is going to work because, I mean, what if your business never gets back to the level that it was before? I, I, yes, there are some valid reasons for making this argument. I totally understand. But on the flip side, if your business is online and you are selling things online, I'll give you a perfectly good example of this. My sister-in-law runs a clothing boutique in the middle of nowhere, Oklahoma. She had to close her boutique because it's not considered to be a critical business. Totally understand that municipality rules exist, Mm. but she's doing gangbuster business doing online sales. So you know, those are shipping out. People are buying her clothes. She's staying afloat. Does that mean that she should not have to pay for the online storefront or the online order processing or things like that? Obviously, she shouldn't. Would it help her if she didn't have to pay those bills for the next 30 days? Yeah, probably. But does that mean that she's going to want to pay more for the next six months on an installment plan to get those things rolling forward. What happens if she gets to a point where like business suddenly nosedive again for some other reason, and mm-hmm. she doesn't get a forgiveness. And now you're back in the lease payment problem of I got to pay the bill for the stuff that I already accrued. So I'm stuck. I, there's no good solution for this. I applaud TechCrunch for for trying to bring this whole idea of of rent pauses to the cloud. I just don't know how this whole thing's going to work out.
0: Yeah, and the other aspect of that is, you know, kind of, Tom, to your point, if business is suffering, you know, you're not you're not doing as much. Theoretically, whatever cloud infrastructure you need, you would also need less of it. So you could, you mm-hmm. know, because you're using consumption-based devices, you're consuming less, you're using less storage, or whatever, you know, you're generating less analytics, whatever it is that you're doing. Theoretically, that cost would somewhat go down. Obviously, to maintain operations, there's a baseline cost, certainly. Um, and, and you know, kind of to, to say, okay, is, is CapEx the answer here? in that instance no that is a fixed cost and that's never going to you know change maybe your provisioning schedule or something like that uh isn't as is as, as rapid or something like that so um so some good points um i i think the main point of it and i think um uh, john and his his piece was fairly open about this he was like i just want to get this conversation started um and that you know despite the startups being customers of these cloud providers you know it's also a, a mutually beneficial uh, relationship, even if the the public coppers certainly have uh, all of the, you know, the majority of the leverage uh, in that case. So I, I thought it was interesting to get that conversation going, it's something that I hadn't thought of uh, previously. And then finally here, I just wanted to finish up here real quick uh, with Microsoft uh, announced that Teams will launch a consumer version later this year Aimed at families and small groups, uh, this they cited things like sharing grocery lists, organizing family calendars, storing Wi-Fi passwords, and other account info stared in a group that will be part of Android and iOS previews in the coming months. They also announced this extremely weird thing about Skype as a standalone product uh, with uh, a corporate VP, uh, Yusuf Mehdi, uh, telling TechCrunch, Skype today is used by 100 million people on a monthly basis. The way I think about it is that Skype is a great solution today for personal use. A lot of broadcast companies use it as well. Um, I don't know why Microsoft hates Skype since they spent $9 billion on it. Uh, but what what I, I'm trying to wrap my head around teams for consumers. Does that make any sense to you, Tommy? It kind of almost reminds me of Evernote, the way they wanted to expand into kind of being a, a broader life organization platform. They, they kind of want to do the opposite, right? They were kind of the teams for consumers and then going into corporate and that kind of failed miserably. Uh, what what's the, what's the read on this? Obviously, other than we want more subscription revenue.
1: Well, yeah, that's what it is. I mean, the read <laughs> on it is that we need to start drinking because some people have obviously lost their damn minds. There's two problems that are this. First of all, I want to point out the fact that we are releasing teams for consumers. Teams used to be uh link for business which was office communicator which at some point was renamed (laughs) skype for business so we now have skype for business for consumers or just skype (laughs) um that lineage just blows my mind um here's the other thing though the idea of having a lifestyle compute platform is not old i'm sorry it's not new it's actually mm-hmm. really really old and i'm gonna go all the way back to pre-nadella microsoft pre-balmer microsoft all the way back to billy gates microsoft when he created a thing called microsoft bob which was a user interface for the operating system that did not look like a computer it looked like a lifestyle program where i would just want to do things with skype sorry not skype with the operating system <laughs> and and they were there it was like think of it like an application suite so it, it, realistically speaking, Nadella's onto something here. I don't know what it is because when you look at the way that most people use platforms, like Slack is overkill for my family. Um, we have a text message thread, we have a shared calendar. Sometimes we need to do things. What's the Wi-Fi password? Um, like you said, you know, I need to have a place where I can add things to a grocery list. Well, I don't want to buy my wife a subscription to things. She doesn't really need to use drafts. Mm. Uh, do we use the shared micros Apple note? Well, that works if we're all on Apple devices. But what happens if my son suddenly gets a, an Android tablet from school? Well, now we're stuck there too. So the idea is sound in theory. And if it works, great. What's it going to cost? Because I'm not paying... $50 a month. So all of my family can have a synchronized grocery list. Yeah. And there are apps that are out there that do that just well. And honestly, if I'm going to have to spend 50 bucks, I'll buy things for all of my family, create a things team, and I can keep everything there and we'll figure out a solution for sharing Wi-Fi passwords.
0: Yeah. That's the, that's to me is the biggest hurdle is, you know, Teams, Slack, all of these, any of their paid models are per user. And I just see like, That just incentivizes you to just have the one teams for consumers thing and then share it too broadly, which kind of muddles its usefulness and like because no one's going to I mean, at least for me personally, like I don't want to spend for my, you know, my parents, my brothers, you know, my in-laws and stuff like that to all be on this and try and convince each one of them to, to pay for it. It just seems very weird. The other thing to me is this seems like a service in search of hardware, which seems opposite to what Microsoft wants to do. Like, this seems to me the perfect companion thing, almost something that I would want from Google on one of their Google Hubs or something like that, where that is then the interface that I can access a lot of these more consumer-focused services. Microsoft is definitely – they're getting out of even the the virtual assistant game, right, with kind of decommissioning Mm -hmm. or or rolling Cortana into its own very specific use cases. Um, So I don't know – and and obviously, no virtual assistant is going to want to open up. Like, I'm never going to be able to run anything, any meaningful consumer team's experience uh, on an Alexa or on a Microsoft or on a Google Hub or something like that. So, to me, I, you know, uh, this is new Microsoft. Maybe they're playing some 3D chess and I can't keep up, but it doesn't make a lot of sense to me.
1: Yeah.
0: All right, uh, that just about does it for the Gestalt IT Rundown for this week. We'll be back every Wednesday at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time at youtube.com slash gestaltitvideo with another live episode. So make sure you like, subscribe, like the video, subscribe to the channel, and see us here every week. We also post the videos to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash gestaltit. We'll be back next Wednesday to talk all about the IT news of the week that was. And remember, we also have a podcast feed. Just search for Gestalt IT Rundown in your podcatcher of choice. You can get it as an audio feed and listen to your heart's content on whatever pretend commute that you have now. Until then, for myself, for Tom Hongsworth, and for all of us here in the Gestalt IT family, here's wishing you and yours to have a super sparkly day.